Welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. This is a space we've created to explore the components of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. Cultural competency. And all of the ways in which these components present themselves in our professional and personal lives. Be it language, culture, socioeconomic class, gender, race, ability level, age, or so many other identifiers. Everything begins with a conversation. conversation. Join us in this space where we seek to empower, educate, and uplift by creating authentic conversations on issues that affect us every day in every way. We look forward to you joining us in our discussions with everyone from thought leaders, diversity and inclusion strategists, students to CEOs in the corporate, education, and nonprofit sectors. Let's discuss how we can better understand differences and leverage commonalities. Let's do away with political correctness, explore ideation, build community, and create allies. Let's start an authentic conversation. This is the Global Fluency Podcast, and this is Bertine Crevacore West. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. My name is Bertine Crevacore West, and I'm delighted to be your host today. Today, I have with me a very special guest, Ms. Punam B. Saxena. Punam, can you say hi to our listeners? Hi, everybody. And tell us where you're joining us from today. From the mountains of Georgia. Mountains of Georgia. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So, everyone, I'm going to tell you a bit about Punam. Punam holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in education. And throughout her 30 years of experience between teaching and volunteering in her children's schools, she's the mother of four. She implemented several procedures that have benefited the students and administrators within the school district. Punam is a parent impact coach, podcast host of Edu Me, and now I'm delighted to say a published author. Congratulations on that. Thank you. You're welcome. And her work focuses on bridging the gap and fostering stronger relationships between parents and schools by empowering parents to become partners in their children's education. And she's been recognized as the Volunteer of the Year at Harrison School for the Arts and has received the key to the city in Lakeland, Florida. And she has been featured in magazines, podcast movement, and Shout Out Atlanta. So anyone listening from Shout Out Atlanta, we are shouting you out. Um, And spoken at several main stage events, including the Passionistas Project, I'm Speaking, and Podcast Movement's Virtual Summit. Punam loves running, cooking, reading, and spending time with her family. So Punam, thank you, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Global Fluency Podcast. I am so excited to be here with you, Bertine. It's always so much fun to chat with you. I tell you, we've had like longer conversations in the green room. And I, I always say this, I had the pleasure of being on the Edu Me podcast. And we had the same thing happen where we're talking in the green room for what could have been a podcast episode. So I love conversations with you. And I'm delighted that you can be here today. And I'm honored that you can share your time and your expertise with our guests. So we're just going to dive right into the questions. Let's do it. Yes, let's do it. So what made you get into this line of work? I'm curious. How much time do you have? I know, right? (laughs) So I grew up in rural Georgia in the 70s. So you have to think back to the 70s when integration was happening and everybody was trying to figure out who belonged where and how do we manage desegregated schools, and in plops this Indian family. And everybody around is going, so who who are they? 
Like, where do they come from? So we would often get asked what tribe we belong to. Oh, good. Because people didn't really understand that there was a country, India. And so when you said, oh, I'm Indian, they're like, oh, so what tribe? So that was really interesting. So there was a lot of education that we were doing, teaching to our community, but also learning from our community because we needed to understand how America works and the nuances that we needed to travel to get to where we wanted to be. So when I was in school, I was the only Indian in my school, my brother and I were, for, gosh, we were the first Indians to graduate from our high school. And the next Indian family did not move in until 12 years after we did. So we were literally the cheese in the farmer in the dell, if you remember that childhood, (laughs) you know, um, little nursery rhyme where the farmer picks the, you know, whatever. Yeah, the cheese stands alone. And the cheese stands alone. We were the cheese. Oh my gosh. But what we learned, what I learned was that our education system really didn't cater to what I needed and what my nuances were, how I was viewing the world and the experiences I was bringing to the table. And and that happened through a series of quote unquote educational failures. And so I actually failed uh, the gifted test and I failed it twice actually in first grade and second grade. And it took me from being a high achieving student to basically a below mediocre student. Wow. It really impacted how I I viewed myself because as an a child of immigrant families, I didn't have the verbiage to be able to socialize effectively mm-hmm. because Hindi is my first language. Mm-hmm. And so I was struggling socially. So the one thing that I had was my academics. And then when that te- those tests occurred and I didn't do well enough. And that literally shattered my confidence. So let's fast forward to college. And I decided to go into teaching because I wanted to be home with my my family. Mm -hmm. And that was the perfect segue. My mother was a second grade teacher. But when I had, when I was teaching, I realized that there really weren't weren't parents walking through the door because they didn't know. And just like my parents didn't know, as immigrants, that they had rights that they could employ at that stage of my life where I was struggling, I wasn't getting that in my special education classrooms either. And it wasn't until I was in a meeting, an IEP meeting, an individualized education plan meeting with five professionals and a parent who was working hourly. And we're sitting in this meeting and 20 minutes goes by and not one of the professionals has asked what this parent wants. Wow. Their goals for their child to be. Mm -hmm. And I looked around and I'm I'm thinking, that's that's just plain wrong. We should not be telling this parent. This parent is responsible for this child. She's taken time off of work to be here. She's missing her hourly, you know, an hour or two of her paycheck. And we haven't even asked her. So I turned to her and I said, before we put all these goals in here, mom, what do you want? Because in seven years, when your child is out of high school, you're going to be responsible for whatever your child's needs are. And we want to be able to help you. We changed the goals right then because 
the educators' goals and the parents' goals didn't align. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were, that's what we are missing in school. So when my, I had my own children, I was like, okay, I'm going to be that parent. I want to be that parent that really gets in and helps children. I knew mine were going to be okay because I was a stay-at-home mom with them and I was involved with them and I could walk the line of education and being a parent. But there are so many parents who can't or won't because they're not certain of what they can do. And there are so many ways that we as parents can empower our children, our teachers, and it doesn't require a lot of time. So that's what our the mission of EDU Me is, is let's get you to build relationships with your schools because the CDC says that when parents are involved in schools, children's behavioral challenges diminish and they achieve higher academics. Proven. Let's do it. So that's what what we do. I love that so much. But um and just like well that resonates deeply with me because as as you and I have discussed, I'm the parent of a child with special needs. He happens to have autism. And you're taking me through a journey that I saw because you and I um, have that shared experience where we're going into an IEP meeting. We're on different sides of it. I'd be the parent, but I knew I went into those IEP meetings empowered with information, which was coming from a place of privilege, right? Because access and information is privilege. Knowing that you can, you know, go into a school at any time, um, knowing your rights as a parent, that's a privilege, right? That many parents don't have or don't even realize they have. And so on the flip side of it, when I was working as an interpreter for 10 years, I would see how these meetings were conducted where parents wouldn't get asked. And as the interpreter, I could not interject. So I love that you are serving as an advocate, you know, um, because interpreters are tasked with um, facilitating the communication process, but we cannot jump in as advocates such as yourself can. So we advocate in a very different way um, because we're prescribed to do so. Those are our code of ethics. But I love that you exist because you're providing something for parents and and your own lived experience as somebody that was in special needs classes. You understand that the struggle that, that can come with that, but also you represent you know, the success and the evolution that comes with that as well, right? Because I I think too many times people think of special needs as a lack of intelligence, and that's not the case. And we need to reframe the discussion. So I love that you exist. I love that EduMe exists because you're helping reframe the narrative. And by doing so, not only are you empowering and advocating for parents, but you're empowering their children right? Because as you said, now the parents are going to say, somebody understands us and is going to, you know, tell us what our rights are, ask us what we want for our child. Because if we think about it, parents have been raising their kids, you know, prior to their kids being put in school and the kids are fine, right? Or, or need some assistance in a different way. But, you know, I love that because that changes a child's outcome. It truly does. It, it determines, you know, the trajectory of their life. And I, I love that you do that. So let me ask you this, um, because part of your story told us about the diversity and inclusion journey that you had. You, you are a walking embodiment of that. And I will say you were put essentially into an experiment, 
right? Because you were, as you said, the cheese that stood alone, right? <laughs> right. And so, you know, that in and of itself, I think, shapes how you will work with people and how, you know, you will build relationships because that that informs our decisions, right? When we are the other. And then we realize, like you said, for your mom, you're like, I'm going to be that parent that, you know, ask people, what do you want? I'm going to know this for my kids. And, and I, that resonates so deeply with me. So let me ask you this then, with regard to cultural competence and diversity and inclusion, what clear goals has this helped you establish in your work, right? How do you do this and make it inclusive and create this, this space for belonging and equity? So I want to go back actually, and just make a point on your earlier comment. And that is, you were saying that we look at special needs as lack of intelligence. And you're absolutely right. There's no correlation. Well, there's not, there there can be a correlation. Let me rephrase that. But what we have to remember is we all have needs that are special. Yes, yes, indeed. We all have deficiencies. I cannot, for the life of me, balance my checkbook. And I know that's an antiquated thing, but I have I, I just can't do it. And it's not because I haven't tried. It's I just it's not in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So we have to remember we all come with some challenge. Some have physical and we can see them and some have emotional and some have mental. Right. So we all have something where we hiccup and we have to remember that. So I want to make sure that we get, we clarify that that we all have something Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And and there is not a book to a special need, right? Um, I was talking about this very subject with my husband the other day, literally, about, um, and I mentioned one of our, our friends who has dyscalculia, and she didn't get diagnosed until she was 35. And then it was like, oh, that's why math was so hard for me, right? Yeah. And so I I always say you just there's no look to a particular thing. Everyone's got something. And some of us don't even know what that something is called until we're well into adulthood, right? And then when we discover what that something is, there is this liberation now and this deeper sense of understanding of ourselves and I dare say the world around us. Absolutely. And listen, my children know that they should not come to me and ask me for money questions because I couldn't tell you how to, you know, Unless it's, you know, round, even numbers. No, it's not happening. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And I think that's one of the things we have to remember as we're talking to your audience that we're all okay. Mm-hmm. We really are. We're supposed we are where we're supposed to be and we're doing what we need to be doing. And our children are doing the exact same thing, the exact same way. It just looks a little different because they're little and they have to learn. And go to school. Um, as far as diversity and inclusion and cultural competence, you know, right now, all of this is a hot button topic, correct? Mm-hmm. Because we have all of these different facets and sects of people that have kind of divided themselves out. And we're all facing it in a very odd way, in a way that we probably have never had to face it before. So when we look at diversity and inclusion, when it comes to education, I'll I'll give you a statistic I came across just this past week. And that is of all of the immigrants that came to this country in 2019, 
It's two years ago. 57% of them came from Asia and South America. How much of our education system has catered to those children and those families? As a layperson, I would I would dare say to say very little. Even in the most diverse school systems, um, admittedly, I live in one, there is very little diversity taught, right? I think we need to start teaching children about cultural competence because they're surrounded with diversity all day. So I always say if we have this sort of education weaved in naturally, um, or I should say weaved in intentionally, as they grow up, the their knowledge, the data that's in their heads, as well as their desire to meet other people that are unlike them will be an innate quality because we intentionally nurtured that from when they were they were tiny. Right? Absolutely. It won't be anything strange and we can eliminate otherism, right? And it comes from having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Just and like this one. <laughs> just like this one. And when you're talking about cultural competence and you're talking about how we can move the pendulum forward, we need to do it when, and, and I use this analogy a lot, when the temperature is not so high, mm. when the, it shouldn't have to be after someone has been murdered or that someone has been attacked or someone has been accused of a hate crime. Mm-hmm. that's not when we need to be having these conversations. We need to be having these conversations like you and I are having today, when we are able to actually have a conversation without anger and frustration, when we are able to come to the table and have a rational conversation, mm-hmm. that's when we can have the conversation. That's when we can make the change. So when I talk to my clients and we talk about this, I try and remind them that it's important to make sure that their children are aware that their world is not where their world is when they walk out the door. Their world is actual now. Actually, now it's global, right? Right. Because you can be talking to anyone anywhere in the world at any time of the day. So we have to really explain to our children how to talk to other people. But before we can do that, we have to check ourselves. What are our own biases? Mm-hmm. How, how do we approach our own biases? And are we transferring those biases to our children? Now we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Westbridge Solutions is a professional training company focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, and soft skills trainings. Westbridge Solutions offers a variety of innovative training courses, both in-person and online, live and self-paced. Their clients include corporations, government organizations, healthcare organizations, the nonprofit sector, universities, and individuals such as yourself. Through their rigorous training programs, trainees learn to understand differences, leverage commonalities, and achieve organizational, professional, and personal actualization. To learn more about Westbridge Solutions, please feel free to visit their website at www.westgrouptraining.com or follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Westbridge Solutions, empowering professionals for success. Absolutely. I love that you said that because, again, 
everything you say when we talk, you know, off air as well. Just I love conversations with you, I truly do, because I I believe in doing what I call an internal squad and out, right? Checking ourselves. What are our strengths, our weaknesses? Because biases are weakness. What's a threat? I think biases are a threat, right? And what's the obstacle? Sometimes that's internal. We are our own obstacle by sheer virtue of othering people, not getting to know enough about them, not approaching the table with genuine curiosity, right? And curiosity is a good thing. I think people are so, and I've seen this with my own clients where they're afraid to be wrong. And I'm thinking, you're afraid to be wrong, but in that, right? And it's all right to be afraid, but in that fear, what it does is it paralyzes you and then you'll never start a conversation until something has happened. And then now we have to forensically, you know, have that conversation. Like, why did this happen? Well, we noticed that the pot was boiling over. And then when it burns us, we're asking, why did I get burned? Right? Like we need, we, there are so many moments and opportunities that we have to have these discussions. And, and I myself have, am a little just taken aback logically by why we always wait. And then when we do get to that conversation, it's, well, now is not the time, right? Or the flip side of it on, on the other end of the spectrum is this heated, you know, I wouldn't even call it a debate. It's just this heated conversation, these words that are hurtful, you know, from, from multiple groups to each other and nothing gets solved. And then we wonder why it happens again. And then let us not forget you know, the apologies that are hollow that come. And and I don't know about you, Phnom, but if one more person apologizes, you know, on Instagram or Twitter <laughs> or saying something that they knew was wrong to begin with or hurtful or inappropriate, right? I mean, rather than get to that apology, why not think first before we speak, right? And why not engage in active listening you know, and, and that's, again, why I'm glad you're in the world, because you are helping people with this. This is a skill that has to be learned, and they can't learn it on their own. Um, just like when we all learn to walk, if my mom had just, you know, put me on the floor and I was a baby and said, go for it. I would have looked at her like, what are you talking about? What's this walking thing, right? I'm perfectly content just sitting here on the ground, right? You know, totally. But it, but it, one thing that I, I think, and I totally 100% agree with what you're saying, my opinion is that it comes from a place of fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. For people are not comfortable stepping out of their comfort zone, right? And we as immigrants did step out of our comfort zone because we transplanted ourselves into a totally different culture. And so I think we have to switch the conversation to one that comes from empathy, compassion, and not fear. Right. And, and you talked about genuine curiosity. Yes. Someone actually, and I remember this so vividly, and I was a child, asked my mother how she got the ruby in her forehead. Like, did they sew it in? Or like, how does it stay there? And I, I you know, you know me well enough now that I'm like, what are you crazy? It's a sticker. Like right? literally the bendy just <laughs> pops right off, you know? But I, but I thought that that was such an insightful question because it came from a place of genuine curiosity. Right. It wasn't, they weren't trying to be, you know, dismissive. Mm-hmm. They were general, genuinely curious. 
And when my mom said, oh, it's a sticker, they're like, oh, that makes so much more sense, right? And now all of a sudden it wasn't anything unusual. Right. And then what does it signify, right? There are three things in in India, in our Indian culture that signify that you're married. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, you may not know that if you are not familiar with our culture. And by the way, getting a diamond engagement ring is not one of them. Right. That right? exists in certain parts of the world, and I dare say not most parts of the world. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, there, there are genuine, genuinely curious questions we can ask, but there's also a tone in which we ask the question. And, you know, it's, it's like we tell our spouses, you know, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Okay. <laughs> right? Well, that's exactly how it is when we go out into the world. I mean, if we say that to our spouse who loves us unconditionally, why are we not doing that when we walk out the door and talk to other people that we don't know as well? Right, right. And, and I love that you said that because then it means the onus is on us, yeah. right? Like it's my job to tell someone about myself, provided that they're genuinely curious, right? Um, I'm not going to be running to Atlanta like, let me talk about me and tell you about <laughs> me, right? Then that would just look kind of odd. But I will turn the other way if you do that. I'm going to pretend I don't know you. I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, it, it's similar to um, that expression will be, that expression that I've heard before in two different ways. Oh, where are you from? Where are you from? like that, right? Those are two different questions. Or where are you from really? Yeah. Whenever I tell people that I'm American, right? And and now it's gone to the point where I don't even say that. I say I'm Haitian American. You know, I'm equally proud of both. And, you know, one is an ethnicity, one is my nationality, right? And, but they make me who I am, right? I am the sum of those parts, right? And, and sometimes if I feel like, you know, being humorous about it, I, I'll say, you know, I was made in America with Haitian parts, right? And, <laughs> and you know, and, and that kind of gives them a bit of, I feel that that's being compassionate to them by giving them a bit of leeway so we can have those broader conversations because people won't even know where Haiti is. You know, um, one person would always tell me that I was Tahitian and that's how we said Haiti. <laughs> I'm and sorry. I, right? I was like, eight and I knew this was inherently wrong. I was like, no, Tahiti is not near Haiti. And they convinced, they were older than me and they were convinced of it. They're like, no, it's because you you don't know English. I'm like, I'm speaking to you in English, right? And I want to point out this person, I am clearly a black woman, you know, for viewers who can see us, but this person was also a black woman right? As oh, wow. A girl, right. And and that's why these conversations are so important because racially, we we look the same. Ethnically, we were very different, right? Culturally, we, we were very different. Linguistically, we were very different. So I, and I bring that up to say that everyone has the opportunity to learn, right? Us being, you and I put up members of um, underrepresented groups or, or people who are non-white or black and indigenous people of color, you know, what title we give ourselves, right? That does not remove the responsibility from us, right? That doesn't make us the expert. What makes us the expert is knowing about ourselves and our cultures, right? And so I thought that that in my mind, all because I saw that happen at school as well growing up, where the first kids to actually tease me were the ones that looked like me. 
And I went back home to my mom and I said, I don't understand. Um, why are they bothering me and, and saying we're strange? They look like me because I, to me as a child, strangeness was something that had to be tangible, like physical, right? I just, I don't understand. And she said, well, we're from a different country, but I was like, but I was born here. I'm like them. And she was like, no, <laughs> you're still different, <laughs> right? And that to me was a defining moment, you know, and I dare say it, it has colored the way that that I see the world and, and has made me curious because people who look like me are different than I am. And people that don't look like me are actually the same as I am, right? Um, and so I, I love that space where it is uncomfortable, but it is also interesting, right? Right, right. Well, and, you know, I'll take you back to when I was six years old and we moved to this rural town and everyone was either black or white. And if you were not white, you were black. Mm -hmm. And so people thought we were black, but they couldn't really pinpoint how we were different from black people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting evolution to where we are right now. And we have so many opportunities to have open, honest, genuine conversations about diversity. And, you know, that's that's one of the, the two D words I struggle with, mm-hmm. diversity and discrimination. I just wish they could be erased from our vocabulary because it it means nothing. Right. I, I love that you said that because quite honestly, I, I think what makes this conversation and and just for me as as a as a I don't want to say diversity expert, but that as a <laughs> as a person that that works in the diversity space and loves it, I don't like using the word. So I always like to say, you know, and I got this from my friend, Don Christian, who had, who had told me this a few years ago, and she was just like, you know, we have to lead with inclusion because diversity, honestly, is just different faces in a crowd, right? Um, there are many aspects of diversity, of course, um, race, socioeconomic class, nationality, ethnicity, gender, um, you know, sexual orientation. There are so many, but when people are typically speaking of diversity, they're thinking about different faces at the table. But if you don't lead with inclusion and create an, a space that invites everybody and is equitable and, and where people feel a sense of belonging, you're not going to achieve diversity. So it's like backwards how I'm seeing the traditional paradigm, right? And, and I think we need to flip it on its head and lead with inclusion so we can create belonging and equity. So I'll tell you that we lived in Florida for a very long time and in a less rural place than I grew up. We'll just put it that way. And there were often times that my husband and I would be asked to sit on a committee through the Chamber of Commerce or the city, you know, the city government, different boards, different nonprofit boards. So we were very active in our community. And we were we were sitting at I was on this one committee and one of my very dear friends was on was the executive director and she invited me to come on and every now remember this is you know Florida mm-hmm. every meeting was started with a prayer okay totally okay with this right totally okay with this it was not how I would start a meeting but you know I'm I'm here So I went to about, gosh, it must have been like the third or fourth meeting. And I'm like, okay, 
here we go. I'm about to rile all these people up. And so I decided, I I texted my girlfriend and I said, I want to do the next prayer. And she was like, what? (laughs) And and, just to be clear, she's not a very religious person either. But anyway, so I text her and she goes, "Um, okay, you can do it. What do you have up your sleeve? Because she knows me well enough that I've got something up my sleeve. So I'm like, listen, I'm going to do the whole thing in Hindi. That's right. I'll I'll translate the whole thing for you at the end, but I'm going to do the whole thing in Hindi. So I did. I love that. I love that so much. Just because I'd love to be in that room when that happens. And I will tell you, everybody in there was like jaw on the ground. Yeah. And and I translated it and I said, thank you so much for allowing me to do this in my native language because you know, um, my beliefs are just as important as yours. And I'm so thankful that you've let me have this opportunity. And so I, you know, I tried to, I tried to teach cultural competence in a very direct, non-direct way. It wasn't to hurt anybody. It was just to say, if you're going to have a diverse group of board members, and this is what you're doing, then this is, then we need to accept everyone. Right. We need to walk the walk, talk the talk. And- Absolutely. And ironically, one of the board members ended up giving me the key to the city. I love that. You know, when that's how you get the key to every city. <laughs> well, you, you do it out. Of, you do it out of a couple of ways, right? You do it out of building honest and genuine relationships. Mm-hmm. You do it without being belligerent. Mm-hmm. You do it in a respectful manner and you bring solutions to the challenges that you're facing as a board or a committee. You don't just say, here are all the problems. What are we going to do? Right. That's great. But now we have to, do, we need to be solution oriented. And Bertine, I will say that's where we falter. Mm-hmm. If I watch the news right now, everything is about who's to blame. Who are we going to blame for that? Who are we going to blame for that? The so-and-so party is doing this. The so-and-so party is doing that. Listen, I don't, care who's doing what I need a solution I I tell you I'm with you with period so much that resonates with me I I was thinking that last night I was just thinking when are people in this country going to get tired of hurting their fellow humans Um, because and I know it sounds so general but at the end of the day we that's what it is like we are each other's keepers right and I, I always as someone that I am religious in my own way. I, I don't, I, and I intentionally don't talk about religion or, or my religion as a way to try to get somebody else to be that because I'm not interested in somebody being what I am. I'm interested in me being what I am and they being what they are, whatever that may be. Even in, in my own home, our, our religions are different. My siblings and I now have different religions, uh, subscribe to different religions, but that's fine. It makes for interesting conversation during the holidays for sure. <laughs> but, but having said that, I just find it very interesting that America was based on Christian values and that is the furthest thing that guides us. So, you know, being your brother's keeper, you know, your proverbial brother, if you will, being your neighbor's keeper, what happened to that? Your neighbor isn't somebody that thinks like you, reacts like you, looks like you, and shouldn't be. Your neighbor is just that, your neighbor, somebody that's in the space that you are sharing, right? And and that overall community. So 
especially as, as you and I were talking off, um, off air in the green room about the AAPI community and the Black community, how we should not be blaming each other for anything. We should be at this moment in particular now more than ever as unified as we've ever been. And, and I think this starts again with, with education. Um, you were mentioning a story to me about, you know, the blame game, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, you know, Asians have been supporting Blacks. Blacks have been supporting Asians. And yet most of what we hear about is how different we are and how divided we are. And I think to myself, you know, look, look at the five people around you. And, and what that, that old saying, that should tell you who you are, right? And it, that doesn't necessarily mean one has to be Black, one has to be Asian, but it's like, if you look at your circle and if they're different from you in any way, that should tell you who you are, right? Um, and, and I don't mean just racially, I mean in any way. Um, we don't want to just be friends with ourselves. Like we were both married. We didn't marry ourselves, right? We Thank goodness. Ourselves. Okay, because I couldn't handle that. Like I'm a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I love being a lot for me, but I don't want to marry another version of me. <laughs> but, uh, I hear you. But to that end, to that end, I want to talk before we go, I want to talk about your book. Tell us about <laughs> your book. So basically my book is well, it's called Parent Power, Navigate School and Beyond. And basically, we're talking about everything from self-care to how to get involved in schools. There is a chapter on discrimination and diversity, even though those are my two least favorite D words in the English language. Mm -hmm. But it's important to tackle it. And then I talk about social media. How can we help our children with social media? Mm-hmm. Because they have access to things that you and I could have never dreamt of in our childhood. And we have to protect them. There's a lot of negatives out there. And we have to equip them with the information so that they don't go down a rabbit hole that's not good for them. We're the trailblazers, as I call it. We're the trailblazing parent generation who has to teach our children well, first of all, we have to learn it ourselves, right? right? And then we have to teach our children how to stay safe. Then the book ends with uh, empty nesting and what to do when your children leave the home. And I have four children in college, and each time I've dropped them off, it is just as hard as the first time. So it really is a very conversational book. It's about how we can best parent each chapter ends with a section called Poonam's, per- Poonam's Perspectives. And it's all about my little anecdote of something that I've done in my life that pertains to the chapter. So I do not profess to have done a lot of what is in the book. It's always, it's more that I've experienced it and I can look back and go, yeah, I should have probably done that. And I, and I put that as a disclaimer in the chapter, you know, listen, this is exactly what I did not do. So I'm telling you what you should do. Right. Make your own new <laughs> mistakes. Don't make my old ones, right? Exactly. So, you know, it's really something to let par- parents know that they're okay, that they have strategies that are easily manageable and attainable that they can implement that doesn't require a lot of time in our busy lives. And the most important thing, Bertina, is that we need to be involved in our children's schools. 
And it doesn't require being there from the minute they walk in the door to the minute they leave. Mm-hmm. It means that you shoot your teacher or administrator an email and say, how can I help? Is Johnny doing okay? What can I do? How can I support you? And we're on our devices all day long and it takes a minute and a half or less to send a text or an email to your teacher. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I couldn't think of a a better way to close out this episode. Tell people where they can find the book. Yeah. So the book is going to be on pre-order until May the 4th. May 4th is a launch date. And of course, you will have to come to the launch because- It's going to be a lot of fun and we have giveaways. We all love giveaways. I know. Fun (laughs) stuff, fun stuff. But it will be on pre-order on my website at punamvsaxena.com and also the edume.com. And so if our listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you on social media? They can find me all on all the major channels, right? Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. I am not on TikTok. I, I'm really holding out on TikTok. That makes two of us. So you won't find me on TikTok anytime <laughs> soon. I am, I'm not even on Twitter, but oh, <laughs> I Twitter's fun. I, I love reading tweets, but I am just, I like, I don't have the bandwidth. I just can't do it right now. <laughs> just Listen, we're going to talk online, offline, how to get you onto Twitter. And it, it requires zero effort. Okay, we're, so you hear that, everybody. So if you see me on Twitter, you're going to blame Punam for that. <laughs> that unleashed all of this onto Twitter. <laughs> no, you stay You stay politically correct. You just don't have to spend oh, any extra time on there. I, I will I'll just be like, hi, everybody. Tune into this week's episode. <laughs> then I'm leaving. <laughs> That's pretty much what I do. Oh my gosh. Well, Putnam, thank you so much again for sharing the space with us, with me, with our listeners, for being a guest on the Global Fluency Podcast. And I welcome you back anytime and actually come back and join us after the launch because we want to hear how the launch went. I want to hear more about the book. And so for everyone, I want you to remember, this is your podcast. So send us your comments. Don't send us your tweets yet because I'm not on yet, but <laughs> send us your comments. Send you can send me your tweets. <laughs> yes, send them to put them. Send them all your tweets. And remember, um, we want you to keep the conversation going. So once again, I am Bertine Crevacore-West, and it's been my pleasure to be your host for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. Tune in every second and fourth Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. for our latest episode. Connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast and on Instagram at Westbridge Solutions, LLC. Global Fluency Podcast. Understanding differences. Leveraging commonalities. Let's keep the conversation going. Going.